Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. lie cocaine that's always been my philosophy welcome back to the bullshit filter 2000 what no what do the episode see fuck welcome back to the bullshit filler season 3.3 uh, oh that song reminds me when i see you next week in north carolina did you want unlaced Dude, you know what cigars? i'm like I, I, you know what i'm like just uh normally or, the last thing the world needs is you, me on cocaine, i'll, I'll surprise you I'll surprise you. Yeah. <laughs> good, good point. Uh, so in our last episode, we talked about the failure of prohibition and the lessons that should not that should have been learned, but obviously weren't learned. And the most important guy not to learn those lessons is Harry, the gunslinger and slinger. <laughs> Harry was born in 1892. Mm-hmm. His father was a barber from Switzerland, and pretty much that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> His mother was a German. Uh-huh. The family was poor, and when he was 14, Harry joined his father working for the Pennsylvania Railroad laying tracks. Now, I would just like to interject by saying that if Trump had been president, if they're poor and immigrants, this story never would have happened because his ass never would have made it in the country. That's it. Please continue. Yeah. So Harry gets a job laying train tracks for the Pennsylvania Railroad. He later becomes an investigator for the railroad, investigating uh, you know, fraudulent claims against the railroad. He uh, becomes famous uh, inside the company when he found that a claim of a widower in a railroad accident was fraudulent and he saved the company $50,000. He was promoted nice. to the captain of the railroad police, which. I'm captain. Yeah, sounds like a fake job yeah. if ever I heard one. <laughs> now. What do, you, what do you do? I'm a captain of the railroad police. <laughs> oh, well, I'm Tinkerbell. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. You get your badge out of a cornflakes packet. Um, it was around about this time when he's working for the Pennsylvania Railroad that he hears about the black hand for the first time. Mm. Mm. Now, I thought the black hand was a... Uh, was D'Angelo. A, <laughs> 
get to D'Angelo later on in this episode, is uh, where you were fisting a man. I thought that was the black hand <laughs> movement. But, no, it's uh, the brown hand. Brown hand. I always get those two confused. He heard about the black hand. Uh, now, at this time, he was responsible for a Sicilian work crew. And um, right. one morning, he found one of his guys, one of his Sicilian workers, an, uh, an Italian man named Giovanni, bleeding in a ditch. He'd been shot several times. Harry gets Giovanni to a hospital. They're able to save his life. Giovanni wakes up. Harry says, what happened to you? Giovanni is too terrified to speak. Damn. I read it, but I, I thought you were going to focus on the 12-year-old boy thing, but <laughs> never mind. That, that probably came out wrong for all you listeners. D- ignore that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't like that story of what happened to him when he was 12. Okay. It was just weird. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was weird. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, Giovanni's too terrified to talk. Um, Harry basically spends hours assuring him that he'll keep him safe and his family safe. Finally, Giovanni tells him that he, along with the rest of the workers, were forced to pay protection money to a mm. man called Big Mouth Sam, which <laughs> is the less is the least scary mobster name that I've ever heard of. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he said, Tight lip, Sam. And, and Harry, says, Harry said, um, small mouth frog, Sam. Um, small <laughs> ma- Do you know that joke, the small mouth frog? It's one of my favorite jokes. No. That's a long joke. It's visual. I'll tell you in North Carolina. Um, he said that Big Mouth Sam was, uh, belonged to a group called the Mafia that had come to the United States from Sicily. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry said, I'd never heard of them before. And he goes, well, it's kind of the point, motherfucker. The first rule of being in the mafia yeah. is you don't tell people you're in the mafia. <laughs> he said, oh, look, they're involved in all sorts of crime. And people who work on the railroad are charged with a terror tax. You have to give the mafia some of your paycheck if you want to keep the job. And if you don't, they'll fuck you up like this or worse. Take so your money anyway. Harry went and tracked down Big Mouth Sam, who he describes Ooh, he describes in his memoirs as a squat, black-haired, and ox-shouldered immigrant. Harry says to him, if Giovanni dies, I'm going to see to it that you hang. Do you understand that? And ha- Harry tried to say something in reply, but Harry said, if he lives and you ever bother him again or any of my men or try to shake any of them down anymore, I'll kill you with my own hands. Fucking A. <clears throat> so he Get was him. the original John Wayne fucking <laughs> Clint Eastwood f- fucking... Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. I was trying to think of yeah. his name. Yeah. 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 Big, big penis. Now, after that, Harry became obsessed with the mafia. And it's important to understand that this is at a time when no one even knew it existed. In fact... Right. Up until the late 1960s, according to the US law enforcement, the mafia was a myth. It was a conspiracy theory. Even J. Edgar Hoover, when he ran the FBI, denied the mafia existed. Said it was was a conspiracy theory and it was a myth and they didn't exist. That's pretty fucking good if you can get J. Edgar Hoover to believe that you do not exist. J. Edgar Hoover knew the fucking mob, personally. <laughs> he knew them all, but he was like, what? Mobsters? No, what are you talking about? Yeah. What? I'm, me wearing a dress? No. What? Where <laughs> That's did, not true either. Where did you hear Equally that? Untrue. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he actually, uh, I think he said that it was no more real than the Loch Ness Monster, the Mafia. Mm. Damn. Now, when World War I broke out, Harry the gunslinger and slinger tried to join the army, but he couldn't. Why couldn't he, Ray? Did he have, oh, God, something with his eye, eyes? Or am I thinking of somebody else? Something with his eyes, yes. Was he blind in one eye? He was blind in one eye. Yes, Ray, congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Woo! Going to round two. Why was he blind in one eye, Ray? Masturbation. Yes. No. <laughs> no. That makes you no, blind in both eyes, not just one eye. Unless you <laughs> only jerk off to the right, then you... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, anyway. Come hits you in the eye any time. <laughs> it makes you blind. <laughs> if come in the eyes made you blind, I, there's a lot of girls in Bukaki videos that would have been blind a long time. Maybe they are blind. Maybe they don't, they don't know what's happening, where it's coming from. What's all this all over me? Don't worry about it, love. <laughs> Just uh, the just wipe off and go. Ketchup bottle, mustard bottle, custard <laughs> bottle. I don't know. Just explode. <laughs> oh God! Uh, Jesus wept. Yeah, and it was all come. He wept come. Um, yes, he was blinded one eye because his brother had hit him in the eye with a rock. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he could speak German because his mother was German, so he could still be useful. Mm-hmm. So he was offered a position as a diplomatic agent in Europe. And he ends up in Hamburg, ends up in The Hague. His job was to ferret out information from local diplomats, basically Mm. sort of a quasi-spy, and also to help out Americans based at these places who got themselves in trouble. And at one point, he had a couple of American sailors who were discharged, had to go home because they'd become addicted to heroin, And that's when his interest in hard drugs starts. But he spends the next 10 years um, in the 20s, uh, basically in a variety of policing, diplomatic roles overseas. And uh, in fact, at the end of the war, though, he had a very important job. Did you read about that? No, I, I read about the various military and police organizations from Germany to Venezuela to Japan, but, but not that specific position. The end of the war, uh, World War One, of course, this is, when it was clear that the Germans had lost, mm-hmm. Harry was sent on a secret mission to go to the, the Kaiser to right. try and convince the Kaiser not to resign the throne. Because they were, I don't think he succeeded. <laughs> no, um, they were worried. The official American policy, Woodrow Wilson, was that if the Kaiser resigned, bad shit would happen uh, in Germany. Yeah. So Harry was sent. He, he tracked him down to a small Dutch town of Amerongen, Amerongen, where the Kaiser was holed up in a castle. Um, Personally, whenever I'm on the run, uh, I, I only <laughs> stay in castles. That's my because they'd never I only do castles. They never think to look for you in a castle. Is my theory. They're going. <laughs> <laughs> so I should go to North Carolina and look for a castle. Exactly. Um, he's planning to abdicate. Um, Harry's job is to pose as a German official, get through to the Kaiser, and say, "Don't do it." So anyway, he gets to this castle. There are Dutch guards at the gates, and I love this. They order Harry to, he says, I, w- I want to go see the Kaiser. 
He says it in his, in German. They say, show, show us your credentials. He says, show me your fucking credentials. <laughs> in German. And he says it louder. Yeah, yeah, in German. And they're like, oh, fuck, okay. And they let him through. So <laughs> He yelled at us. Yeah. He yelled at us. Yeah. I actually thought he was going to see, these are not the credentials that you're looking for. <laughs> let himself through. Anyway, so they let him through, but he gets there too late. The Kaiser's already decided, and he quits. And for the rest of his life, Harry believed that if he'd only gotten through to the president, uh, the president, the Kaiser, a little bit earlier, right, um, and given him the president's message, Hitler wouldn't have come to power, and he could have avoided World War Two. Mm. Harry he felt it was it was all his fault. He didn't get there. <laughs> it's all on me. But why did you curse me? Yeah. The future of civilization wasn't just in his hands that one time, Ray. It was also in his no. hands a second time. Oh. And this time he was determined not to fuck it up. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So in 1930, uh, towards the end of Prohibition, when the government is busy poisoning the fuck out of tens of thousands of Americans. <laughs> right. Ha- Harry is appointed the head of a brand new agency, the Federal Bru- Bru- fuck Federal Bureau <laughs> of Narcotics, the 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 Fibbins, and uh, it's 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 under it's a department, an agency of the Department of the Treasury. Mm-hmm. Harry is the man who, in that job, started the war on drugs. And like you said, this is not just a job for him. This is a crusade. He is not going to let fate slip by him a second time. Yeah, it's not just a job. Uh, It's not just a mission. It's a marriage. Literally. Um, He married a woman called Martha Denniston, who was from one of the richest families in America, the Mellons. The Treasury Secretary was Andrew Mellon. So he mm-hmm. was now related to the Treasury Secretary who gave him the job. He's like, dude. Isn't that illegal? I'm sort of hard up. Uh, you know, I'm back Nepotism. from Europe. What can I do? I don't know. We'll, give yeah. you, we'll create an yeah. agency for you. Brand new agency. <laughs> how, how do you like that? Oh, fuck. That'd be great. Thanks yeah. very much. Gives him a budget of $100,000 and he's told to go get him. Go get him, Tiger. Now, I want to go back a bit. But before that, after World War One, yeah. Harry... Amidst all of his stuff in, uh, he's doing in Europe, he gets sent to the Bahamas. Not oh, nice. A, not a bad job if he can get it. Uh, this is in 1926, the middle of Prohibition. Had something to do with stopping the flow of illegal bu- uh, booze. Buse? What the fuck is booze? Um, <laughs> illegal booze into the US from the Bahamas. Apparently there were bootleggers there working with the mafia. They were West right. Indians and which Central Americans, which didn't exist. That's right. They were... <laughs> You know, getting it uh, from the Bahamas into, I guess, Florida. Would they come in via, I guess, Florida? Probably, I'm guessing, yeah. Now, Harry met some of these West Indians and believed they were loathsome and filled with contagious diseases. Here we go. And that anyone foolish enough to drink the booze they touched would also... Turn brown. (laughs) We'd catch the black hand. Um... And, and he basically said to his bosses, look, the only way to stop this illegal smuggling is to use maximum force. Use the Navy to hunt down the smugglers, massively increase prison sentences for 
people who sell booze until they're all locked up, wage a war on booze until it is only a memory. So and again, they, let's not worry about education or anything like that. Let's just use the hammer. The iron fist, yeah. The iron fist. And they said, fuck it, Harry, we love your ideas, but we just <laughs> repealed the fucking 18th Amendment. So, <gasps> Oh, shit. Sorry about that, What's old you son. Do now? Hmm. Yeah. But here's a brand new agency, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Um, go out and stop people from using cocaine and heroin. It's a career saver. Yeah. yeah. Now, these had been regulated since 1914, and I think uh, I want to talk a little bit about each of them, the history of them uh, and, and their legal position and, and how they went from being, hey, you can buy it in a drugstore and it's in your Coca-Cola to right. uh, where we are today. So we go back and in classic Cam and Ray style, Dig ourselves into a fucking hole by trying to tell <laughs> the backstory. <laughs> Love it. Lick it, learn it. <laughs> what? I don't know. Is that what the priest priest told you? Uh, <laughs> he said it was the only true path to something. Redemption. I don't know. Anyway. All right, let's start with cocaine, a.k.a. Coke, yeah. snow, rock, blow, crack. <laughs> Let's start with some cocaine. I like that. That's good. I'm going to put that on a coffee mug. That's good. What does Coke? What does Coke do for you, Ray? What is? What's the upside of Coke um, in your experience? I'm not really sure. It either makes my penis bigger or it looks bigger. E- either way, I like it. No, it's it's obviously a, a strong stimulant, mostly used for a recreational drug. Happiness, a loss of contact with reality. Uh, there's a, obviously you can. I've seen people uh, not saying. Huh, let me let me take that back. Uh, it can bring on anxiety, a sweating, high blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We now, no, 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 we don't want to know about the negatives, right? Let's okay. just focus on let, the positives. Let me, let me ask you this: I read because I I don't know anything about cocaine. I read that it was not physically addictive, but psychologically. Addictive. Did did you catch? Did you read anything about that? Yeah, I don't think that's true like, at all. Um, okay, because I did, it didn't sound right. Anyway, yeah. So so it's a good time party drug. Uh, in the eighties, um, they made some movies about it. Awesome times. Have you ever used cocaine, Ray? Honestly, no. No one's no, listening I'm to a this. Pansy. Just you and me. No, no one's listening. Well, that's not good. No, I have never done nose candy before. I'm looking forward to it in North Carolina, but no, I um. No. Have All you these years of us talking about snorting coke off of hookers' tits, uh, <laughs> surely one of us has done it. I haven't. I thought you must have. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. No, no look, no. I've. No. Uh, as people may uh, may not may not, may or may not know my backstory. I gave up booze myself when I was uh, seven, uh, 18, 18 in one month. I gave up booze. I drank mm-hmm. very heavily when I was seventeen. I uh, uh, had a lot of pretty scary experiences. Um, I'd moved mm. out of home when I was 17, spent the, spent the next year uh, living a long way from home, got a job, had money, was pretty miserable, um, drank a shit ton of booze and um, decided to get sober when I was – so I joined AA when I was 18 and like one month, two months. My dad Good had been in you. AA for 20 years uh, well, not at that stage. Well, uh, no, for for ten, uh, eight years at that stage, he'd been sober. I ended up being sober in AA for twenty years before he died. But 
So I knew about AA. I'd grown up around AA and Al-Anon and Alateen. I got sober, didn't drink mm-hmm. at all for 12 years, not a drop, with total nice. abstinence. When I was 30, uh, as a result of a spiritual experience and a lot of other stuff, I decided, you know what, I'm not scared about my ability to right. drink anymore, which to, to AA would be anathema, but for me I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good. So since then, so that's been 17 years now, I, I drink but very fucking rarely. I mean, um, once or twice a year. I'll be drinking with you right. in the US, but it's in Hell moderation. Yeah. I mean, I even when yeah. we were in Vegas, I don't know if you paid attention, but when we were in Vegas, we, every night we'd go out, we'd drink with the guys and Chrissy and we'd, whatever. Chrissy doesn't drink either now. She's been sober nearly six years. Um, mm-hmm. But when I drink now, even when I ran the cigar lounge and all the booze was free, I'm a two-drink maximum guy. Every night, two drinks, that's it, I'm done. Um, because I don't like getting drunk. I don't like having hangovers. Yeah. I don't like being an idiot, losing control. It's just I don't see the upside or the benefit of that. I do like a I like a whiskey. I like a rum. I like a, a good craft beer. Uh, I won't drink shit, booze. Life's too short. I don't drink wine much. I don't mind a wine, but I don't drink it much. Um, I'm a more of a scotch and a rum guy, like a good single malt, yeah. good rum. But honestly, we don't have any booze in the house. I rarely drink. Someone comes over, they might bring it. If I go out with someone, I might have a mm-hmm. drink, but very rare do I drink. So I, because yeah. of that, I never got into the harder stuff. I've been high once, and that was about a year ago. Mate of mine <laughs> gave me some ice cream when we were playing chess. He put some weed oil in it. He overdid it. Um, I didn't feel anything at the time. About an hour later, it kicked in, and I was high off my fucking gourd. <laughs> And I didn't enjoy it because I was like, what is happening to me? I had tried to smoke weed a few times, going back from when I was 18 uh, or 17, uh, 16, 17 at the end of high school. Smoked it once, didn't do anything to me. Smoked it a couple of other times. People gave it to me, never did. Even Chrissy and I smoked it for a while there, never did anything to me. She made hash brownies for a while. I ate those, did nothing to me. I've always had the thing, look, I just can't get high. It just doesn't work on me for whatever reason. Um, until this guy put it in the ice cream and, like, right. fucking half, it was half, 50% weed oil, I think. Back to my brain, wasn't expecting it, didn't enjoy it. Right. But now right. it's legal in California. I'm going to be there next week, so I might try it when I get yeah, to California. Yeah, pick me up a bag. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that's been my experience. Yeah. Very limited. I know nothing about it apart from what I've learned from Velvet Underground songs and books and movies. <laughs> there you go. All right, cool. You? Yeah, so, so we're both. No, oh, good God. Well, as far as what are you talking about? Uh, marijuana. You drink? You're a big drinker. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, no, I'm not a big drinker. I have. You are. You, t- <sighs> you send me emails every night going, I'm fucking drunk. <laughs> I fucking no, love you, no, but I'm drunk. No. Don't, don't, don't use <laughs> no, it against me. No, that wasn't me. the alcohol talking. No, um, <laughs> up until, up until, up until man, maybe a year ago, I, w- I was like you. I would drink like twice a year. There would be Christmas and probably a birthday. Um, probably with all this, uh, all some shit going on, I would say I drink maybe once every other month. I have some limoncello in the house. I have a single glass, and that's pretty much it. So no, not a big drinker. And like you, I do not like to be out of control. I'm just, I don't trust people. I just don't like to be out of control and, and act stupid and 
Yeah, so it just does not appeal to me in that in that way. We don't like to act stupid, say the guys who spend three hours every week just <laughs> telling dick jokes and homoerotic humor that's listened the, to by hundred thousand people. Not lost yeah. on me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, so, so there you go. So we're both. Yeah. We're at, the truth comes out. I've never. I've never yeah. slept with a prostitute, and we don't do drugs, and we barely yeah. drink. We're the straight. We're Carolina. the widest, yeah. straightest motherfuckers on the planet. Um, <laughs> embarrassed to say. <laughs> pretty. Pretty fucked up. Yeah. Anywho, do, do we lose cool points? Do I we think lose so. cool points? For I think you? our entire yeah, audience okay. just switched off and went. What? <laughs> I thought you guys were so I cool. You guys were cool. Yeah. But. <laughs> anyway. Well, I just want to remind those people, if you yes. are thinking that we're boring and, uh, you know, that we're not cool. Try sleeping with us. It's, oh, Im- it's important that you know that. Square, we are square, yes. and you should have seen the white man dance. I was—you can only white man dance to <laughs> Huey Lewis in the news. That's yes. uh, the only kind of dancing. That's sadly true. All right, back to cocaine. Yes, so look, f- cocaine is famous for increasing your alertness, your attention, your energy. Right. You can stay up for days and days and days. You can work hard. You can yeah. focus, or at least you think you're focusing. Whether or not you're really <laughs> focusing, I'm not sure. It it works by sending high levels of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that Mm -hmm. works in a number of different places in the brain, but it's mostly associated with reward-motivated behavior, the pleasure centers. Brains are built that if you do something that's good for you, like jerking off, you get a dopamine hit. Um, And cocaine just gives you tons of dopamine. Yeah! It's like the... the Cocaine is the Oprah of dopamine. It's like, you get some dopamine and you get some dopamine. Look out of your chair. You get some dopamine. And the brain fucking loves it. Now, the Incas in South America have been chewing on coca leaves for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. This one. I, I saw one thing about, uh, yeah, cocoa was found with mummies that were 3,000 years old. So, yeah, these people have known about the quote-unquote benefits of this stuff, and they've been doing it for quite some time. When the Spanish arrived, they called the coca leaves the agent of the devil and tried to ban it like good fundamentalists. But when they found that their slaves couldn't work as hard without it, they were like, oh, fucking, I've been working for 18 hours. I'm tired. What do you mean 18 hours? It's still another (laughs) six hours of the day. They're like, well, if you gave me my coca leaves back, I could probably do it. Like, all right, fuck then. Uh, The Spanish decided to legalize it and tax it. Nothing like having your slaves coked out of their brains while they're working in your silver mines. That's my motto. (laughs) No, I I just didn't want to zoom by this too quickly. So the Spanish come in in 1531. The conquistadores. Wait, 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 wait. You don't want to zoom past something too quickly. Really? <laughs> really, yeah. Ray? Everybody, no. stop what you're doing for a moment. No, no. <laughs> Let's note the time, ladies and gentlemen. It's 11.13 and 40 seconds a.m. on Friday the 12th of January, Brisbane time. Ray said on the fucking mic that he doesn't want to zoom past something too quickly. Well, I'll you know, be. I have feelings. I have feelings, and I'm going to bring them and my boot 
to North Carolina. Anyway, no, I just I was just reading through this. And it was just so sad. The Spanish come in 1531, the conquistadors, they conquer the Incas, they kill the emperor, they enslave these people, and like you said, they tried to ban this stuff. They find that the people will work a lot harder, even though they're going to work themselves to death, so they give them back their coca plants. And the Spanish king, Philip II, decrees how important this is to the Andean people. So again, it's like, look, you're going to work yourself to death for us, but you'll do it a lot harder and a lot faster if we give you back this plant. Fuck it. So here you go. Now, eventually, Spain's going to try to introduce it to uh, to Europe, but Europe has got another um, love going on right now with uh, coffee from Arabia, so they're not really interested in it. But the Spanish are able to use it to work those poor people to death in the silver mines, making themselves uh, just richer and richer. I just thought that was incredibly sad and just a, a really deep back move, and I just didn't want to, to skip it over too quickly. Mm. That's all I wanted to say. I think it was a back move, not a D back move. It was a back move. D back. Oh, back move. Okay, gotcha. Mm. All right. So I in just s- wanted to throw that out there. In 1609, the priest Blas Valera, who was in mm-hmm. uh, South America, wrote, Coca protects right. the body from many ailments, and our doctors use it in powdered form to reduce the swelling of wounds, to strengthen broken bones, to expel cold from the body or prevent it from entering, and to cure rotten wounds or sores that are full of maggots. Mm. And if it does so much for outward ailments, will not its singular virtue have even greater effect in the entrails of those who eat it? Now, that's the tip for you, Ray. Uh, Next time you need to (laughs) score some cocaine, just uh, tell your dealer that you have sores that are full of maggots... (laughs) And that's what you need the cocaine for. This is medicinal, so don't overcharge me, please. Thank you. Yeah. It was in the 19th century that the active ingredient was finally isolated by German chemists. Of course, it would be Germans. Thanks, Germans. Uh, (laughs) They had been trying to figure it out for years, but the problem was when they took these bundles of coca leaves and put them on a ship and sent them to Europe to be analysed by the chemists, they were all fucking ruined. Um, right. So it took a long time to work it out. Uh, one of these Germans, Albert Nyman, got his PhD actually by coming up with a better way of isolating the active chemical from the coca leaves, and he called it cocaine. Uh, so we have Albert uh, Nyman to think for that, to thank yeah. for that. Yeah. Now, cocaine ended up in all sorts of medications uh, and tea and cigarettes and powders and wines and soft drinks. Very famously, it ended up in a wine produced by a Corsican chemist, Mariani, Angelo Mariani in 1863, a mixture of wine and cocaine that was sold as a stomach stimulant, pain reliever, (laughs) appetite suppressant and anemia Treatment, and he had some pretty, pretty famous customers. Ray, you want to talk about Mariani? Yeah, so so his uh, his elixir of delight, uh, Vin Mariani, was uh, a tonic um, from Bordeaux wine and coca leaves. Uh, the ethanol of the wine acted as a solvent and extracted the cocaine from the coca leaves. Um, so uh, I think uh, originally it had six. Per fluid ounce, it had six milligrams of cocaine, but he's going to increase that later on to 7.2 um, uh, 
milligrams uh, per ounce because it's going to get some competition from similar drinks in the United States. And I just, and I think you said this in the very first episode, the Sears and Roebuck uh, catalog for their Peruvian wine, it was talking about all the wonderful effects. Yeah, so there was Queen Victoria. She drank this wine. There was Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Uh, then there was Pope Saint Pius the Tenth. Uh, they were all then Mariani drinkers, and even Pope Leo uh, Pope Leo awarded a Vatican Gold Medal to the wine, and he appeared on a poster endorsing endorsing that. And I put a picture of that up on the Bullshit Filter uh, Facebook page. You did. So a very impressive find. list of uh, people. Yeah. Well, that's not even half of it. He had testimonials from H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, Thomas Edison, the Queen of Portugal, the King of Spain, President William McKinley, August Rodin, <laughs> the sculptor, um, President Ulysses Grant, um, pretty much anyone who was anyone uh, yeah. was was drinking uh, Vin Mariani. He then came out with, with a better product, his Elixir Mariani, which had three times the amount of cocaine in it. Um, it was like, you know, when, when you just can't get enough of that great cocaine, uh, when six milligrams per ounce or 7.2 milligrams per ounce is not enough, get the Elixir Mariani. Nearly 21 grams of cocaine per oh ounce. Oh, my God. Um, be happy households. Yeah. 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 Now, um, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, as you mentioned, appeared on this poster. He said he awarded a gold medal to Mr. Mariani for the tonic that the Pope carried in a personal hip flask to fortify himself (laughs) in those moments when prayer was insufficient. He said, whenever I realise that this is all a crock of shit, Jesus doesn't exist, the whole thing is fucking bullshit, I just just take a a big swig of Vin's (laughs) triple cocaine-laced elixir and I forget what I was doing. And And then I find God. It goes away. For an hour, yeah. and then I need Sweet to drink it Jesus. again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you read the works of H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, they say, this is amazing. How did they come yeah. up with this? Cocaine is the answer. <sighs> Thomas Edison, you know, when he was uh, trying, busy stealing all of uh, <laughs> Nikola Tesla's ideas, how did he do it? Yeah. Cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down, 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 down. No, no, yeah. So now I know that the character. I just wanted to ask real quick: Did you come across? Uh, you know, I know that Sherlock Holmes, the character, uh, the fictional character, would do cocaine when he would be bored in between cases. But I can't remember if his, if the author Arthur Conan Doyle also drank this as well. I think his name, yep, might have been on that. Okay, uh, I just wanted to make sure. Arthur Conan Doyle was a big uh, cocaine user, as was Sherlock Holmes, as you said. Nice. Uh, I want to talk about good old Johnny Pemberton. Uh, good old Johnny Pemberton. Uh, American hero. Yeah, I guarantee you no one's ever heard of Johnny Pemberton. Right. Not, not many people, anyway. Um, is he famous over there? I don't think he's famous. People no, don't walk around no. going and, fucking, and, yeah. And, and the people who listen to the show, some of them, probably a lot of them, sampled his product today. Yes, probably. Yeah. John yeah. Pemberton, um, I've got some in my fridge. Um, yeah, he was a, a drugstore owner from Columbus, Georgia, and he came up with his own version of Vin Mariani. He called it Pemberton's French Wine Coca. He's like, I'm not oh, paying this fucking Corsican dude for his thing. I'll just make my own. <laughs> Trademark be yeah. damned. 
He was he was a gifted chemist, so he knew what he was doing. And it was selling very well, but then the old Ku Klux Klan came along and uh, being good religious fundamentalists demanded that alcohol be banned from Atlanta. And he was like, oh, well. Fucking, it's fucking a, KKK. They, they, they weren't worried about the cocaine, the KKK. <laughs> cocaine, that's all good. But the alcohol, yeah, they didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, evil. Yeah, because Jesus is coming. And <laughs> if anyone is going to... If anyone is going to be yeah. at the forefront of welcoming Jesus to America when he comes, it's the KKK. Yeah. So, again, in 1886, along with the KKK, Atlanta and the Fulton County enact temperance legislation. Suddenly he's got to come up with something else because he can't keep the, uh, the alcohol there. So he's got to come up with something else. And he replaces it with cola nut extract, which had a lot of caffeine in it. And so yeah. the 1886 recipe for uh, Coca-Cola uh, has a pinch of cocaine added to the caffeine. <laughs> just a pinch. Just a, just pinch. a pinch. Just to get your attention. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the reasons the drink became popular and where their slogan, Coke adds life, comes from. Because <laughs> fucking yeah, it added life, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's non-alcoholic, but as you said, a tad bit, tad bit of cocaine in it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, there was um, other people who were big fans of cocaine, including um, Carl Collar, who was uh, an ophthalmologist and a friend of Sigmund Freud. He experimented mm-hmm. in 1884 with cocaine by um, a, sticking a, a solution of cane cane in his own eye, and Fuck. then sticking pins in his own eye after no. he had numbed the eye with cocaine. God. <laughs> this man has taken experimenting to a whole new level. All, Don't you get a monkey or a rat or a dog for that? All in the name of science, Ray. <laughs> That's why I'm not a scientist. That's why I'm a lover. Sigmund Freud himself in 1884 published a work called Uber Coca, uh, in which he wrote that cocaine causes exhilaration and lasting euphoria, which in no way differs from the normal euphoria of the healthy person. You perceive an increase of self-control and possess more vitality and capacity for work. In other words, you are simply normal, and it is soon hard to believe you are under the influence of any drug. Long, intensive physical work is performed without any fatigue. The result is enjoyed without any of the unpleasant after-effects that follow exhilaration brought about by alcoholic beverages. No craving for the further use of cocaine appears after the first or even after repeated taking of the drug. Really? There you have it from Sigmund Freud himself, who, I'm not sure if you know this, made up most of his uh, case studies in his writings, uh, but nonetheless was the founder of modern psychoanalysis. In 1885, the US manufacturer Park Davis, America's Mm -hmm. oldest and largest drug maker, sold cocaine in a variety of different forms, cigarettes, powder, even a cocaine mixture that could be injected directly into the user's veins with needle included. 
Well, that's just good customer service. Exactly. You want to package up a total solution. Company yeah. promised that its cocaine products would supply the place of food, make the coward brave, the silent <clears throat> eloquent, and render the sufferer insensitive to pain. Oh, my God. Now, um, I wanted to mention something about the Spanish, uh, Spanish-American Spanish War, but I didn't want to rush you. No, I'm good. Do you- do you know? Do you know if the um, I meant to look it up, but I I couldn't track it down. Do you know if the manufacturer Park Davis is still around today? Do you know if it's morphed into anything else? Or? It is. It is still I, around today. I think it's part of Merck or one of those. Um, uh, it, the, gotcha. the, the name yeah. doesn't get used, but it was only recently. It was only like in the last ten years or so. It got itself into more trouble for selling shit it shouldn't have been selling under uh, false pretenses. And um, they've 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 taken down the brand, but up until recently, it was still in operation. Yeah, last ten or twenty years or something. Gotcha. Oh, and, and just just to take a second, because f- for why not? But just to finish off with Pemberton, uh, when Coca Cola comes out, he is sick. He's almost bankrupt. Uh, bankrupt. What happened was he was in the Civil War and U.S. Civil War, and he got it injured, uh, saber to the chest, got addicted to morphine. Um, and he was actually experimenting with, with drugs to try to come up with a morphine substitute. But it turns out that over the years, he never gave up morphine. So obviously, even though he's only 57, he's still, he's pretty messed up. And he starts selling the rights to his formula to his partners. He tries to keep some of it for his son because he knows he's going to die. But his son, all, all he cares about is money. So he sells the last of his shares. And Pemberton dies of stomach cancer at age 57. So this guy who creates coke that we all drink today died addicted to morphine at age 57 and dies of cancer so it's just pretty messed up i just wanted to finish off his story yeah so in 1898 you have the spanish-american war obviously the united states gets the philippines and at the time opium addiction was a very big problem there so there's a man named brent uh, who, who has a Brent commission, he studies the problem and he says that narcotics should be subject to international control. And the United States uh, Department agrees with that. The United States State Department agrees with that. And, ni- and just, and I'm going to stop, I'm not going to go too far, but Teddy Roosevelt in 1906 calls for the first international conference, which is in Shanghai in 1909. There's a second conference in 1911. And the result of that second conference is the first international drug control treaty. So again, and they're starting to get wise to this. America, even though it's been isolationist for some time, is starting to to uh, interact with other parts of the world, obviously through the Spanish-American War. And we're seeing some of the problems out there. And, of course, because we're Americans and we're God's favorite, we, we see it as our job to, to try to combat some of this and tackle it uh, and, and to save people. Um, but, again, you were making the point earlier, by the second half of the 1800s, um, opiates and cocaine is being used by the upper classes. It's a substitute for alcohol, but again, it's starting to become a problem in its own, and, and people are starting to figure out different ways. We have to deal with this like we need to deal with alcohol as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> before that, though, I wanted to also mm-hmm. add to the list of cocaine users. Oh, um, you ever wondered how uh, Ernest Shackleton made his way down to Antarctica, the great explorer? In 1909? Uh, he, he dressed warm, and whenever he got weak, he would get on his knees and pray to God, and God saw him through. Yeah, that uh, and a lot of <laughs> cocaine tablets that he took with him. I love it. If you go back through, 
early American 20th century history, all these great heroes, everyone. Oh, yeah. you don't learn the bad. Like, that's what they should teach kids at school. Thomas Edison, kids, he said 99% of success is hard work and cocaine, uh, is the Thomas Edison story. Um, theft and cocaine. Theft and cocaine. That's right. That's what America was built on. Theft and cocaine. That's what that's what Rome was. Well, not the cocaine, but yeah, theft and cocaine. That's 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 what God wanted us to do. That's how my daddy did it. That's how <laughs> I've done it, and it's worked out pretty good so far. Pretty uh, well. Uh, Captain Scott also uh, on his ill-fated journey to the South Pole uh, did a lot of coke. Yeah. The most popular American drug of the time was Rhino's hay fever. Which right. was pretty much 99.9% cocaine. Uh, <laughs> it was touted as the best cure for a clogged and sore nose. But yeah. No kidding. Burns everything away. Mm. Now, as you say, uh, people started to notice that there were issues with cocaine. Um, people ended up in hospital uh, with damaged nasal linings. Um, they're going, what's going on with people's noses, man? Like, they're just bleeding <laughs> from the fucking nose. Yeah, I wonder where this is coming from. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> um, I've got no idea. Um, they started to work it out slowly. There was um, a Dr. Brendecki in, I think, Chicago, who was up on charges in 1906 from selling cocaine. I, got, I had a great time this week going to newspapers.com and reading through all of these Newspaper articles about cocaine and heroin from the early 20th century. Um, right. He was up on charges. Uh, and this is from the Chicago Tribune, 1906. Use of cocaine growing. Finally, in a burst of enthusiasm, such as might be attributed to a martyred benefactor of mankind, Dr. Brendecki said, The use of cocaine is growing every day. It's only a question of time when it will be used as freely as tobacco. Nothing can stop it. It is quite as harmless as tobacco when people when used. Sorry, fuck. It is quite as harmless as tobacco when used by ordinary people who don't go to excess in things. Mm-hmm. The people who are raving in an unreasonable manner against cocaine likely are going to excess with tea, coffee, liquor, or tobacco. Hundreds of years ago, when tobacco was first introduced, it was against the law to use it. Men were thrown into jail for selling it. But now it is something that almost everybody uses. So will it be with cocaine. There are over 80 druggists in Chicago, the bulk of whose business is cocaine, he continued. (laughs) I should say that about one-fourth of my business is in dope. My God. Yeah. But it was legal. I mean, it was... It's the way things were. It was legal. It was popular. It was everywhere. Um, But the tide did start to turn in the early 20th century, as you pointed out. I found an article in the Indianapolis Journal from 1901 that warned against Mm -hmm. cocaine being used without medical supervision. But the main people who were using it were, Mm -hmm. in fact, doctors. They were using it on themselves or, or in their practice? Yes, using it on themselves and oh God. selling it. The biggest drug dealers were the doctors. I got this quote from a story. It might have been the one from the Indi- Indianapolis Journal. 
says the greatest abuse of the drug is undoubtedly by physicians themselves, many of whom alternate cocaine, morphine and whiskey. Cocaine has a very stimulating effect. Everything looks roseate and the subject feels a ceaseless activity, does not care for sleep, indeed often cannot sleep, but feels no need of it. Of course, this effect is followed by a period of depression, which is so extreme as to demand a repetition of the dose. The action of the drug is rapid and its victim speedily becomes insane or dies. Medical students have been known to take cocaine in order to pass a brilliant examination and more than one has thus contracted the habit. Um, Sorry, go ahead. According to a 1914 edition of the New York Sun that I found, it was estimated that 15% of America's doctors were addicted to cocaine. (laughs) Well, that just shows you how good it is. I'm sorry. That's actually a a testimony. Uh, I just wanted to add something because you can't have all roses without the mud. Uh, Problems start to arise, as we were saying, in, in the year 1900, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, they published an editorial that stated, and I'm uncomfortable with this, Negroes in the South are being reported as being addicted to a new form of vice, that of cocaine sniffing or the coke habit. Some newspapers later claimed cocaine use caused blacks to rape white women and was improving their pistol markmanship. Quick, somebody called the NRA. Chinese immigrants were blamed for importing the opium smoking habit to the United States. So again, even, and I'm sure it was before this, but even by 1900, um, you can't just have a problem. You have to bring race and racism into it. It's um, the blacks, it's the Chinese, whatever. Again, so there are people, obviously, a very established white people with uh, native nativism are starting to see the problem just other than just drugs. They have to, I guess they have to blame it on somebody. Yeah, and we'll get to that too later on. I want to talk about um, the, the, the racial... Um, components of this um Mm -hmm. you know we've already touched on the racial component of prohibition in our earlier episodes um it was more around the germans and the irish and the italians but uh here we'll get to the um the 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 uh problem with the darkies uh, uh later on when it comes to the other drugs Um, Now, in 1906, Teddy Roosevelt's administration passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, which was the forerunner of the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Why did they pass that, Ray? What was going on? Uh, Its main, oh, um, I think from what I can tell, its main purpose was to ban foreign and interstate traffic in adulterated or mislabeled food and drug products. I guess they wanted the um, the labeling to be more accurate so people would would know what they were getting. I'm assuming there was a bunch of bad things in food or in drugs that people were suffering from. Well, a little bit sketchier than that. Even it was basically people were selling rotten meat. Uh, in your butcher shop, which had been loaded with preservatives and other bad stuff, so it literally would pass the sniff test. Um, And, uh, yeah, and and then it was also, there was was cocaine and and heroin being put into soft drinks and wine and other foods, and 
So they decided, listen, we need to get people to start to fucking accurately label this shit. Uh, because people are getting sick, people are dying, people are getting addicted, because they're buying food uh, not knowing that it's full of fucking poisons that have been put in, like, formaldehyde just to embalm the meat so it looks good. Um, And, you know, people, when I think some people today, particularly on the right, they think, oh, regulation, the government shouldn't get involved and regulation's all bad. Well, this is where it started because capitalists, (laughs) capitalists left to their own devices will just put formaldehyde in your beef steak and go, well, fucking, if you buy it and eat it, that's your problem, man. Like, not, nothing to do with me. Buyer beware. Yeah, right? Buyer exactly. beware. So the Food and Drug Act was passed, Pure Food and Drug Act. Now, it was mostly focusing on foreign and interstate traffic in mislabeled food. It wasn't banning anything. It was mm-hmm. just saying, hey, you gotta, you got to label this shit Correctly, the active ingredients need to be placed on the label, and drugs couldn't fall below purity levels that they had established. Um, and the drug labels had to list any of ten ingredients that were classified as addictive or dangerous: alcohol, alcohol, morphine, opium, cocaine, cannabis, etc. It weren't banned. You just had to put them on the fucking label so people yeah. knew what they were getting, right? Yeah, sounds fair. Now, uh, it took 27 years, by the way, to get this law passed. People were trying for 27 years, a bit like Prohibition. Oh, before, uh, you know, they, they tried for decades to get this right. through. Uh, there was a lot of m- media attention, the, the muckraking, the yellow journalists, as they were known, to bring this issue of... of, of rotten meat being sold and hidden drugs in medicines. Um, But even back then, of course, Big Pharma was trying to use its influence to stop the government interfering with its ability to sell whatever the fuck it wanted to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Newspaper advertising contracts even back then had something called a red clause in them. The red clause stated that medicine ads, which at the time was a huge component of the revenue for a newspaper, would be withdrawn if the newspaper expressed support for food or drug regulatory legislation. Wow. That's power politics. That's pressure politics right there. Yeah, it is. And and this is uh, the classic way that Large organizations, when they have a lot of money, can use that money to manipulate the media and by manipulating the media, manipulating politics and how people vote and what people support and what politicians support. If you if you support as a paper or a television network or whatever it is, a radio station, if you support this particular piece of legislation or this particular piece of thingy, we will pull all of our money from you and we will tell wow. all of our friends to pull their money from you and you will be fucked. Um, And that's one of the problems with advertising as a business model for media, by the way. It's also one of the reasons why advertising is the business model for media. If you go back to the early 20th century, there were actually hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of newspapers and a lot of them were small. They were run by unions or uh, people like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, labor groups and and political groups, the local communist party would have its own newspaper and whatever. 
Um, and then they they would sell the newspapers. They weren't ad supported. They were they had a sticker price on them of right. whatever it was, and that's that, that was the main source of revenue. But um, then you had certain guys like your your Randy Hurst, who mm-hmm. um, bought up all of the uh, newspaper paper suppliers, drove right. up drove up the cost of paper, making it more expensive. So that people wouldn't pay the sticker price for the paper. Um, So newspapers needed to supplement the cover price with advertising revenue. But, of course, if you're running a dirty pinko rag Mm -hmm. talking about communism or something that supports the Pure Food and Drug Act legislation, advertisers aren't going to advertise in your paper because they don't want that message out there. So you can't get advertising and right. so you go out of business, and the only newspapers left standing are the ones that are pushing the uh, laissez-faire capitalist uh, wheelbarrow. Right. And that is how we ended up with concentration of the media into the hands of the rich elite. Jeez. We're going to start our own church, and we're going to start our own newspaper. It's just a matter of time. I've already done both of those things, man. Uh, I've okay. Yeah. Yeah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt to show how big I failed. (laughs) This time God is on our side. The Things I Have Failed At by Cameron Riley. (laughs) There's Um, a book. Yeah, so the Pure Food and Drug Act, getting back to that. Um, So they were the the, the big pharma companies were trying to stop it, but it got passed. But it was, again, it's about making sure that things are labelled correctly. Now, later on, laws come in to actually ban certain products. Mm-hmm. Um, now, around this time, as I think you indicated, uh, Coca-Cola changed its uh, – replaced the cocaine in, in it as an active ingredient in 1903. In 1909, people were trying to get a ban because of the caffeine in it. Oh, God. There was a court case called United States versus 40 barrels and 20 kegs of Coca-Cola, which is interesting. That's a whole story in itself. It wasn't actually <laughs> – the defend the defendant wasn't actually Coca Cola Company. Uh huh. It was forty barrels and twenty kegs of Coca Cola that uh, the government had impounded to study. Um, anyway, long story. Um, the gu- the judge found that Coca Cola had the right to use caffeine as it saw fit. Mm. Although uh, they eventually lost Coca Cola when the government appealed to the Supreme Court. And two bills were introduced to the House of Representatives to strengthen the Pure Food and Drug Act, adding caffeine to the list of habit-forming substances. Um, Coca-Cola ended up reaching a settlement with the United States government to reduce the caffeine amount. Mm. Yeah, again, that's fair. That's something you want to know about. Well, it's not about labelling here. This is about... they got. People were trying to have it outlawed because there was too much caffeine. So they're right. trying to ban alcohol, cocaine, heroin, caffeine, tobacco, everything that is good. Conan, what is good in life? <laughs> to drive your enemies before you, hear the lamentation of their women. And, and snort some cocaine out their sh- ass. <laughs> <laughs> The um, the Pure Food and Drug Act, people kept using cocaine. Because why wouldn't you? Because they're addicted? 
And that, yes. Um... In 1912, the United States government reported 5,000 cocaine-related deaths in one year. Damn. But it's not only in America that people are worried about cane. No. In England, they are worried that uh, the Germans Uh are sneaking cocaine to the British soldiers in the middle of the war in order to make the British Army less effective. Because uh, my what? hands up, I have, a, I have a question. One, two-parter: How do you sneak cocaine to the enemy? And two, if your enemy gives you something, why would you take it? <laughs> yeah, both very good questions, uh, <laughs> Mr. Harris. Um, see me, see me after class for okay. some private instruction. Um, yes. I think the general feeling was: uh, Well, look, look, look. Seriously. The British Army is the greatest army in the world. We've been mm-hmm. at this thing for two years and we haven't won. <laughs> Obviously, something's going on here. Obviously, the Germans are sneaking cocaine into, oh. into the soft drink that our very pure boys are drinking. That right. is the reason we are not winning. Not because we're useless and incompetent, but yeah. because... Uh, tactics suck. It's drugs. Let's blame, right. blame the drugs. Meanwhile, in London in 1916, during World War I, Harrods department store was mm-hmm. selling a kit described as a welcome present for friends at the front, which contained <laughs> cocaine, morphine, syringes, and needles. But Nice. Uh-oh. Well, I think that's it, Ray. Um, we, we've done another hour. We have to leave the rest of our cocaine story for our next episode. You're going to leave me hanging on a needle. Leave you waiting for a hit. Uh, And I will see you, my friend, in uh, a week. Yeah, exactly. In Raleigh, North Carolina. No point telling people to come and hang out with us because by the time you hear this, it'll have been and gone. But uh, anyway. Check out our Facebook page. Yeah, we got some neat stuff up on the Facebook page. Please check that out. Yeah, and we had a fucking great time. All I can say is... We had a great time in Raleigh. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We'll go out with uh, Slow Hand. Okay.